Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 11 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, I'm discussing air travel with type 1 diabetes, both domestic and international. Jesse is out this week, so it'll be just me this time. And I've got a win and a hack for you first. So for my win, I had another conference this week at the time of this recording, which was the Smart Cheat Conference for anyone interested. And while the first day had kind of a blood sugar spike, in the morning at least, the rest of the week I managed to keep pretty steady. So that was a win with stress management in particular. My hack is actually related to air travel. Packing diabetes supplies is such a hassle when you don't have a dedicated place to store them. It's also kind of iffy using just a bag or a soft pack to carry things you wouldn't want, you know, to get squished or broken. I actually use an old Dexcom sensor box as my diabetes travel box. I'll add a picture of it to the show notes so you can see how I organize it for a week-long trip. Having a somewhat hard shell box to carry diabetes supplies in while traveling lets me feel confident putting it in my backpack or in my carry-on roller bag. I managed to fit one or two sensor changes, three or four set changes, two vials of insulin, syringes, extra test strips, and alcohol swabs all in there if I pack it right. I remember when I went to Scotland right after I graduated college, I had to be really creative with packing my diabetes supplies, and so I actually pre-filled multiple reservoirs to cut down on the space the reservoirs took up with all the extra bits and pieces. So that's the hack. Have a dedicated hard shell box or pack for your diabetes supplies while traveling. So I've been flying somewhat regularly since age six. At least that's the first trip I can remember. Nowadays, I fly between two and six times a year for business and once or twice for personal vacations. And because of that, I've learned a lot about what to do and what not to do when it comes to managing my diabetes in the sky. But it all actually starts the night before a flight. So I'm going to walk you through a typical flight day for work travel. So let's start with pre-airport prep. I usually fly to the East Coast for work, from Seattle to Philadelphia. I prefer early morning flights and generally look for ones that depart between 5 and 8 a.m., no matter when I fly. This gives me plenty of time to get to the airport before traffic builds up and land early enough in the evening that I'm not dragging when I get to my hotel. For air travel, I have a separate basal profile. I have the Tandem T-Slim pump, which lets you program different basal profiles, which is just the pattern of different basal rates throughout the day. I have my normal profile, a profile for when I eat dinner, and an air travel profile. The air travel basal profile gives me a higher rate earlier in the morning to combat the cortisol from getting up slightly earlier and all the stress that comes from navigating TSA PreCheck. I turn the basal profile back to normal when I land. So I live by the rule that you should be at the airport two hours before a domestic flight, at the minimum. This is especially true for bigger airports like my home airport, SeaTac. For smaller regional airports like the Casper and Detrona County Airport in Wyoming, you can get by with only being there an hour before the flight because the airport is so small. I've got about a half hour drive from home to the parking garage, and on the way, I usually drink a bottle of keto chow. So I have to bolus for this before I leave, and sometimes I do a temp basal increase of my already increased basal to help kind of keep it level or keep it from going up too high. 
I haven't gotten it down perfectly yet since I haven't ever gone through security without my number creeping up past my high line. And once I'm at the airport, I have to keep a closer eye on my numbers. So I have TSA PreCheck. This is a federal program that allows expedited security screening at United States airports. It's $85 for five years, and it requires a background check, fingerprinting, and an in-person interview with a government agent. And just a side note, if you get global entry, which is expedited customs at the U.S. border, it's $100 and includes TSA PreCheck. The PreCheck line is usually pretty light between 4 and 5 a.m. This next part is really important for any type 1 diabetics wearing an insulin pump and or a CGM and its receiver. Those devices cannot go through the big body scanner or through the luggage x-ray machine. These scanners can damage your medical devices without even showing signs of damage, and the airport will probably deny any liability. However, the Dexcom, Tandem, and Medtronic websites all claim you can go through the metal detector without issue, and we'll link to the show notes for those sites in particular. For those of us on Tandem pumps, it's important to realize that the T-Slim is pretty much an all-metal pump and will likely set off the detector, which would probably end up in a pat-down anyway. So because of this, I always opt out and choose a pat-down when going through security to save myself the hassle. I've had them done often enough that it doesn't bother me, and it gives me a chance to brighten the TSA agent's day with a little conversation or some humor. One time I was leaving SeaTac and I had a great conversation with a type 2 TSA agent about the best uses for moon cheese, which I had on my carry-on. And moon cheese, honestly, it's amazing. Just dehydrated cheese, but you know, it's really good. I know plenty of people have had bad experiences with pat-downs. I've personally never had an issue with it, even when I went through pre-check in Denver and my laptop had a false positive for explosive residue. I know that if I bring any negativity or frustration to the interaction, it won't fix the problem and it won't get me out any faster. In that situation, I remained friendly and open with the agent, and she remained friendly back. And eventually, she took a swab that came back negative, and I was free to go. When I go through the pre-check line, I inform the agent that I have medical devices that can't go through the scanner, and I'm requesting a pat-down. I always refuse to go through either scanner, the body scanner or the metal detector, and the agents never have a problem with it. If you don't want to have a pat-down, you should unhook your pump and physically hand it to the agent in one of those loose item bowls, as if it's easily removable. Never let the agent convince you to send it through the baggage x-ray machine. Never. If nothing else, remember to inform the TSA agents that you have type 1 diabetes and are wearing medical devices that you cannot remove. And if you still feel uncomfortable, bring a medical note to hand to the TSA agent explaining that you have type 1 diabetes and you're traveling with medical equipment. You can also bring syringes in your carry-on. Make sure you never check insulin in your bag, as the air pressure and temperature changes in the cargo hold of the airplane can render insulin unusable. So if you still have questions about going through TSA as a type 1 diabetic, please send us a note to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We'll answer listener questions in future episodes and probably send you an email back with an answer before we record it. Obviously, after getting through TSA, it's just the waiting game until your flight leaves. But most airports are big, and you have to do a lot of walking to get from security to your gate or from gate to gate on a layover, and again when you get to your final destination and need to pick up your bags. That's a lot of exercise, and it's liable to drive your blood sugars down or up, depending on where you were to start and how much active insulin or insulin resistance you've got going on. This is an interesting factoid. Did you know that airports moved baggage claims so far from the terminal gates because people complained how long it took bags to come out? I've heard it takes, on average, 20 minutes to move bags from the cargo hold to the baggage claim carousel, so they moved baggage claim to be a 20-minute walk from the gate in most big airports. This makes it seem like your bags arrive instantaneously when you get there. Okay, back to actually being on an airplane with diabetes. By the time I get onto the plane, I'm in one of three places. 
First, I could be heading down because I've stacked insulin trying to combat the insulin resistance that came from the stress of TSA and the walk from security to my gate. Second, I could be hovering at my high line, again thanks to the insulin resistance. And third, I could be climbing to a really high number because, again, of the insulin resistance. Are you sensing a theme here? Wherever I'm at when I board, I have to keep paying attention to it because the same pressure change that makes your ears pop also affects the insulin in your reservoir. How? Physics. It's called Bernoulli's principle, and it has to do with air pressure differences, or pressure differences in general. When the plane takes off and climbs, the air pressure changes actually create bubbles in your reservoir. There's nothing you can do to prevent them, but it's probably a good idea to do a temp basal increase or even give a small bolus before takeoff to combat the insulin you'll miss when those bubbles form in there. Without fail, my blood sugars are always high on a flight. It's a combination of stress and air pressure changes. And the same principle works in reverse when coming in for landing. Have you ever heard of baggage claim lows? Well, the air pressure change is the reason for that. When landing, Bernoulli's principle forces insulin through your tubing and into your body without a bolus mechanism. The extra insulin, since it takes about 15 minutes to start working, hits the system right about the time you make it to baggage claim, hence the low. Keep low snacks easily accessible when deplaning and walking to baggage claim. Another thing to consider about air travel with diabetes is bringing your own food. Airports don't exactly make it easy to find low-carb food on the go. In-flight meals are similarly difficult to deal with. I should point out that under no circumstances should a diabetic order a diabetic-friendly meal, and I have air quotes around that, on an airplane. Those meals are the last thing you want to eat on a flight, mostly because they taste disgusting, but also because they have kind of a bad nutritional profile for diabetics. Or anyone, really. I end up bringing a lot of food with me when I fly. I'll stock up on low-carb snacks like moon cheese, pepperoni jerky, and sometimes brahmi before I trip. My husband also makes low-carb foods for me to take, too. My favorites are low-carb bread rolls and keto crackers. Both do well outside the fridge for a while, though I prefer to keep them refrigerated when possible. I also travel with keto chow. I can't bring it pre-made through security, so I buy individual sample packs of my favorite flavors and take them in my carry-on luggage along with a blender bottle and my digital scale. I use them at my destination, not on the way. I can always find a grocery store with a small carton of heavy whipping cream, and I just use the hotel tap water and a mini fridge to prep it. I strive to stay as low-carb as possible when traveling. Since I'm already dealing with insulin resistance from cortisol, keeping my diet low-carb helps me keep my blood sugars low. You can hear more about how we use low-carb to help manage our diabetes in episode 9. It's actually pretty easy to find low-carb foods at most restaurants. I get burgers without the bun, sandwiches without the bread, and replace carby sides with vegetables. Most restaurants are pretty accommodating. I also like going to the grocery store when I land to stock up on some low-carb snacks like, again, beef jerky, some nuts, pork rinds, hard-boiled eggs, string cheese, and other things like that. A trip to the East Coast is actually how I discovered brahmi, which is a high-protein legume called lupini that has actually relatively few carbohydrates, and it tastes pretty good, although that could be just me. So to recap, I recommend getting early flights to minimize stress and time sucks dealing with traffic and long security lines. Get TSA PreCheck if you travel often enough to make it worth it. Remember to never go through the body scanner and never let your devices through the luggage x-ray conveyor belt. Make sure the TSA agents know you have type 1 diabetes and are either handing them your insulin pump in one of the loose item bowls or you're opting for a pat-down. Be kind, patient, and respectful when going through security. Being in a hurry and getting snippy with TSA just won't do you any favors, regardless if you have diabetes or not. Plan ahead for food and snacking options. Remember the airport and airplane prices are marked way up. Be prepared for higher blood sugars and either preempt them with temporary higher basals, a different basal profile, or periodic boluses or injections. 
Remember to give a little extra insulin before takeoff to combat the bubbles that form from the pressure change. If it's easy, unhook your pump when the plane starts its final descent, which is about 15 to 30 minutes before landing. You can usually feel the change in altitude as the plane starts to go down, and you should rehook when you get to baggage claim. And if it's not easy to unhook like mine, because I put mine on my butt, try to have low snacks easily accessible and keep them at the ready for your deboarding and walk to baggage claim or ground transportation. Make sure you bring enough diabetes supplies with you that it feels like overkill. You never know when a sensor might fail or hit a blood vessel. That happened to me in April, and I didn't have a second sensor with me. And sometimes sites can kink going in. I always bring two vials of insulin just in case one of them breaks. And it's a best practice to bring syringes with you as your ultimate backup in case your pump fails. So I mentioned at the beginning of this that it's both domestic and international, and this really counts for both. I know international feels bigger, but in terms of air travel, it's really the same process. The biggest thing is you're going to want to bring some extra supplies beyond what you would on a domestic flight. So that's pretty much my summary of air travel with type 1 diabetes. Despite the hassle of dealing with the actual logistics of travel, I love traveling, for both work and personal reasons. Having type 1 definitely introduces a few new kinks to it, but it's nothing I can't handle. So next, I want to talk about some diabetes in the news. A company called Viasite has released a report from a clinical trial that shows that their implanted cells, called PEC-01 cells, are capable of producing C-peptide in type 1 patients. This is significant because C-peptide is a biomarker for insulin, and it's used for assessing insulin-producing cells in patients with type 1. So it looks like there are two different studies going on here. This is an excerpt from the announcement we'll post in the show notes. Quote, the PEC-DIRECT trial focuses on implanting PEC-01 cells in patients with type 1 diabetes who are considered high risk for complications, including coma and death, and still requires the use of immunosuppressive drugs. Viasite is currently conducting another trial using the same PEC-01 cells called PEC-NCAP, which would deliver the cells from an encapsulated device and would not require the use of immunosuppressants. The positive data reported from the PEC direct trial is good news for PEC NCAP as well. End quote. One of the constant problems with transplant therapies for type 1 diabetics is that it's not a true cure when you have to take immunosuppressants. It's just swapping insulin for another drug you're dependent on. So the fact that PEC NCAP wouldn't require immunosuppressants is really good news for research into a cure. As we wrap up, it's time for a question of the week. What are your tips for traveling with type 1 diabetes? Leave us a comment at inspiredforward.com slash episode 11, since this is episode 11, or send us an email at colleen at inspiredforward.com. We'll read audience questions and responses on future episodes. That's it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 11. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jesse is on Instagram as at jj underscore crystal k-a-t. Please feel free to send her questions or comments that you have about type 1 diabetes or the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. And please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, since that helps other people find us. And be sure to listen in next week when we continue our discussion on insulin and hormones, this time with a special guest. Remember, you control your diabetes, it doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. 
It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.